So when I was a little guy, um, there have been people in my life who have really spoken life into me, who have changed me. Uh, and it's well, my spiritual journey would not be the same without these people in it. Uh, I think of Mrs. Struble. When I was growing up at the first Christian church in Crown Point, Mrs. Struble was, I'm pretty sure she was my fourth grade Sunday school teacher, and Mrs. Struble was dedicated. I mean, year after year, Sunday after Sunday, she was there teaching kids, fourth graders, uh, about Jesus. And she had such a profound influence on my life uh, as a little guy, uh, as my Sunday school teacher. Uh, I think about Mr. and Mrs. Barber, who were my sixth grade Sunday school teachers, and they were fantastic. They taught us how to love Jesus. They taught us uh, about God's love, and it was amazing, and they spoke into my life. Uh, I think about my youth minister growing up, Mike Holland, uh, who was our junior, senior high youth minister there at uh, First Christian and Crown Point. And I tell you what, Mike uh, was uh, awesome. He was so much fun. Uh, he taught us how to love God in a fun way uh, and really helped shape me uh, as a Christian in those early years uh, when I was in, in high school and in, in junior high. Uh, I really enjoyed youth group growing up. And we have a great youth group here. It's called UFC. It's United for Christ. It's a combination between us and First Church of Christ in Highland. If you've got a teenager uh, who wants to be a part of a youth group. They meet today, actually, 3 uh, o'clock here at GFCC. Uh, so bring your young people uh, for that. Now, you know, I think about my youth minister growing up, and, and I think about, um, like, my ministers growing up, uh, John Starr and Walt Puckett. They were two of the influences in my life uh, at First Christian and Crown Point. I think about Lynn Ragsdale at Town and Country Christian Church in Crown Point. My family went for a while. Uh, I think about... Um, when I went down to Indiana State to study uh, uh, theater. I was an, uh, an acting major. I was going to be a, uh, a theater major. I was going to go to Hollywood and make it big. And instead, I act like a minister every Sunday. Um, so I, but I remember my campus minister down there, Mark and Sue Gallagher. And Mark and Sue had such a profound influence on my life that I'm not, I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for Mark and Sue. Uh, they have been literally the campus ministers at ISU and Rose Holman and St. Mary of the Woods College uh, for four, like for 40 years. I mean, it, it, they have been doing this forever, and uh, they have been, again, just changing lives for God's glory uh, for, for decades. And I'm so thankful. Actually, this year they're retiring, and it breaks my heart uh, that other people are not going to get to know uh, Mark and Sue like I got to know them. And, and they, the influence that they had on me is incredible. Uh, I think about when I went to Lincoln Christian College uh, in order to study to be a pastor, and I think about my small group leaders that I had there, Dr. Brian Messner, Lynn Laughlin, uh, my, my preaching professor, Dr. Sackett. Uh, I think about like J.K. Jones and Mrs. Shaw and all these wonderful teachers that I had and, and faculty members who, who taught me uh, and really helped my faith grow, grow, and grow. Um, I think about different colleagues that I've had, elders that I've served under at th the three churches I've served in Atwood, Illinois, Forest Lake, Minnesota, and here in Griffith. I've had wonderful elders who have taught me and shaped me and, and allowed me to grow as a minister. I, I just, I could not be who I am today if it wasn't for other people speaking into my life. 
other people who helped shape me, who helped challenge me, who strengthened my faith and stretched my faith and helped me grow. I just, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for those people. And you know, I think we all got a story. Every single one of us has a story about how somebody spoke into our lives and shaped who we are. And, and maybe you're thinking of that person right now, that one person who just, it may have been your parents, it may have been your your grandparents, it could have been a pastor, it could have been a youth minister, maybe a Sunday school teacher, uh, a youth sponsor, somebody in your life who spoke into your life and, and they helped shape who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and when you think about that person, you kind of start to smile and you think, wow, I wonder what they're doing now or, or you know, I can't wait to see them again someday in heaven. Uh, and, and you're so thankful for the influence that they had in your life. And, and maybe that somebody, maybe you're sitting next to them right now. Maybe you're sitting next to them because uh, it's, you know, they brought you here. Uh, it's the person who invited you to come here. Uh, and whether or not it's, it's you've been coming here for, for four weeks or for 40 years, uh, it doesn't matter. Somebody brought you here. And somebody said, you know what, you need to check out this church. And like I said, it could have been your parents, could have been your grandparents, could be a friend, could be a neighbor. And somebody said, you've got to come check this out. And all of a sudden, now you find yourself on a journey of faith that 10 years ago, maybe you wouldn't have even thought you'd ever be on. How cool is that, right? And so here you are. Somebody spoke into your life. Somebody spoke into your story. They wrote on the pages of your life. We were down in Florida this week on vacation, and we were uh, at Universal Studios getting ready to ride some rides, and me and my little guy, and we like to ride roller coasters together. It's one of our favorite things to do. Uh, is to ride roller coasters together. I, and I, I turned to him. I said, hey, uh, I said, you see all these people? I said, quit looking at your phone and playing Pokemon and look around. <laughs> he loves the Pokemon. Uh, um, I said, look around. I said, you see all these people? Yeah. I said, every single one of them has a story. Every sing I said, Jonathan, everybody's got a story. And their stories are all different. I said, but God loves every single one of them. God loves every single one of them. And, and I believe that your story matters. And so wherever you are in your journey of faith, your story matters. And we are intensely interested in your story and in helping to write the chapters of your story and change your life and change your destiny because that's what God does. He changes our lives and he changes our destinies and he makes them far greater than we could ever imagine what they could be. That's what God does. And I believe he uses people to do that. Whether it's people in the church or uh, people in our lives, he, he uses people to shape us and, and help us to grow spiritually. I believe that everything in creation grows. Every, everything that, that is living grows. So whether it's a tree or a flower, whether it is a, an animal or a person, we all grow. Sometimes we grow physically. Sometimes we grow spiritually. Sometimes we grow intellectually. Sometimes we grow emotionally. But we're always growing and we're always transforming. And I think that if we will uh, invest in other people's lives, we can help them grow spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually. And if we let other people into our lives, they can help us grow spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually. And today I want to focus on spiritual growth. And I want to give you a, a, a process, a plan of spiritual growth that if you will follow this plan, 
I guarantee you will grow spiritually. Now, I know it's a big guarantee to make, and I don't have anything to give you if it doesn't work, but I know it works. And if you will follow the simple plan, GPS, we'll get to that in just a minute, you will grow spiritually. And I believe that God desires that we should all grow spiritually, that he wants us to look more like his son, Jesus. Now, how do we look like Jesus? Is it when we're sinless? No, that's not it. I mean, we'll never be sinless. Every single one of us has a struggle with some kind of sin or multiple sins or addictions or whatever we got going on in our lives. And we're all going to sin. The Bible says uh, in, in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That every single one of us is a sinner. We just got to own up to it. Confess the fact, yep, I'm a sinner. The guy on stage, the people in the chairs, the people out there, we're all sinners. But God wants to forgive our sins. And that's why he sent his son Jesus and when Jesus came, he went to the cross. He suffered and he died for our sins. He was the perfect sacrifice. Who, and the only one who can take away our sins. The only one who can forgive us. And that's why Jesus came. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you'll believe in him, repent from your sins, confess your faith and get baptized, God will wash away your sins. He will forgive them in that moment. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will purify you. He will wash you clean. He will forgive your sins now and forever. And he will give you not only the promise of eternal life with him in heaven, but he will give you meaning and life and purpose here on earth. And it's beyond anything you could ever imagine. It's truly great. It is wonderful to be a follower of Jesus. Now, it's not perfect. We mess up still time and time again. And it doesn't mean that life's going to be a bowl of cherries all the time. There are still hardships and struggles, and people do mean things to other people, and they'll do mean things to you. But it gives you hope. And it gives you purpose. Gives your life meaning. And it gives you love. Unconditional love. No conditions on it. That whether you like it or not, God loves you. Whether you like it or not. And there's nothing you can do about it. God loves you. And so do I. So, let's talk about spiritual growth. We're in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 31. It sounds like a big, big passage of scripture to study, and it is. So we're going to take it pretty quick. We're going to take it in four pieces, uh, three little pieces and one larger piece. And we're going to spend more time talking about the three little pieces than we do the one larger piece. Because the one larger piece is really hard to understand. We'll get to that in just a minute. If you brought a Bible, great. Or if you're watching online, hi everybody. Uh, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, and uh, we're in verses 8 through 31. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 825. Uh, or uh, you can also follow along on your favorite app uh, on your smartphone or tablet or up on the screen. So we're going to look at verses 8 through 11 first, verses 12 through 16 next, verses 17 through 20, and then verses 21 through 31. So like I said, we've got to take this quick uh, because uh, I'm getting hungry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> well, I've been in Florida all week right there in Eastern time. So while it is uh, like uh, uh, 1145 here, it's 1245 in my tummy. So uh, thank you. Uh, verses 8 through 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. He's talking about uh, idols, like idols of stone, idols of metal. And before the Galatians became Christians, they were pagans. And they worshipped created things rather than the creator. So he says, you were slaves to those things. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God. So not only when we become a follower of Jesus, not only do we know God, but he knows us. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? 
Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Now, he's not talking about going back to paganism. He's not talking about going back to worshiping idols of stone and, and, and metal. He's talking about the principles. And the principles are that the, the idols of stone and, and metal could not save them. They would make sacrifices to their false gods, but those sacrifices couldn't save them. And he says that the same principle, when you go back to Judaism, when you start going to Judaism, it's the same principle of uh, basically the, there was a group of people coming to the Gentile Christians and telling them that they had to become Jews before they could become Christians. That you had to undergo the rite of circumcision in order to become a follower of Jesus Christ, following the law of Moses, which would make them Jewish before they became Christians. And Paul is arguing against that. And that's what we've been talking about uh, for the last several weeks, is that you cannot uh, be good enough, you, can't, you just can't follow enough rules in order to become a Christian. You can't follow enough rules in order to be right with God. You can't follow enough rules to be forgiven. It's the same principle. That you, it's, a, it's a religion based on performance, and it's a religion based on works. And the same principle applies, whether it's paganism or Judaism, or any other ism, that if you are trying to earn salvation by being good enough or buying it or uh, going to church enough or anything like that, if, if you're trying uh, to earn your salvation, you can't do it. Salvation is a gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period. And that's what Paul's been arguing about in the entire book of Galatians, that it is by faith that we are saved. And so he says, do you wish to be enslaved all over again? Verse 10, you are observing, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. He's talking about things like Passover and the Sabbath. He's like, why are you observing the Sabbath? Why are you observing Passover? These things are gone. That's the old covenant. Under the new covenant in Jesus' blood, you don't have to follow those things. Here's what drives me nuts. We, we do this. As Christians today, we do this. We will put emphasis on certain days of the year. Right? Which are the two, the big two, right? Easter and Christmas. It's Christmas and Easter. Well, those are the holy days. In fact, we call them holidays. Well, literally, it means holy day. Holiday means holy day. And so we make those days more special. Oh, don't do anything wrong on Christmas and Easter. Or you've got to go to church on Christmas and Easter. Where do you find that in the Bible? No, you've got to go to church all the time, every Sunday. Every, here's the thing, all right, I'm, and don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying the incarnation, which is the process of God becoming human, and I'm not downplaying the resurrection, which is when God raised Jesus from the dead, because I believe that the resurrection changes everything. I believe it is the single greatest event in the history of humanity. So, I'm not downplaying the importance of it, but what I'm trying to say is that for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus, for, for a follower of Jesus, every day is resurrection day. Every day is Easter Sunday for us. It's not one day a year. We live in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ every single day of the year. Every day should be a holy day for followers of Jesus. Every single day should be Christmas and Easter rolled into one. Every single day. Because we live with the hope of the resurrection every day. We live with the joy of Christmas every day. You know how people are nicer at Christmas time? We should be like that all the time. We should. 
Because we live in that hope. We live in that joy. We live in that peace. We live in that love. As followers of Jesus, we've got that all the time. We don't have to uh, relegate it to one time a year or two times a year. We have it every day. So why are we observing special uh, seasons or, or days or, or months or, or, or occasions? Why are we relegating it to, to just two times a year? For Christians, it should be every single day. Off my soapbox. All right, thank you, man. He says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Verses 12 through 16. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. So when Paul went to preach to the Galatians, he didn't intend on preaching to the Galatians, but because of an illness, he got stuck in Galatia. And so he starts preaching to the Galatians, sharing with them the good news of the gospel. The Greek word for gospel, the ancient Greek word for gospel, literally means good news. He's like, I'm going to tell you some good news. They received the good news. They believed the good news. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. And God changed everything. He says, what has happened to your joy, to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given 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 them to me. Uh, scholars believe that Paul had an eyesight problem. He had some kind of vision problem. And he, he says, look, you would have even torn out your own eyes and given them to me if you could have. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So you've got the Galatians who were so affectionate for Paul. Now all of a sudden, they've turned against him because of these Judaizers, because of those who were jealous of Paul's ministry. And that's what he talks about in this next passage. Verse 17. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I am with you. So this idea of zeal, this ideal of zealousness is, the, uh, is, is fine as long as you've got a good purpose behind it. But the Judaizers were jealous of Paul's ministry, and so they were zealously trying to turn people against Paul and to themselves. Now, jealousy in ministry is ugly. I'll be honest, it is ugly. Uh, when you've got a connection, a small group leader who says, you know what, I, I don't understand why everybody's going to that small group over there. I don't have as many people as they do, and they sit and they pout. Because it's like, why doesn't anybody like my small group? Everybody wants an attaboy. Everybody wants a way to go sister. Everyone wants to feel important and feel special and feel like they're doing a good job. And when we, when we measure our success or we measure what we're doing against what other people are doing and what's going on in other people's back, yards, when we measure ourselves against others, we're going to get jealous. Because someone's always going to be doing a little bit better. Someone's always going to be having a little more success. Something's always going to be bigger. Something's always going to be better. And when you start comparing yourself to those uh, other people and what they're doing, you're going to have jealousy. So ministers, we're, we're not exempt. We get jealous of other churches. You know, oh, my church is growing, but it's not growing like that church over there. Or they've got this, they got that. They got this kind of music. They got that kind of music. They got this kind of gizmo. They got that kind of technology. You know, why can't I have that? Ministries get jealous of other ministries. Well, why can't I have their budget? Jealousy in ministry can be really, really ugly. It's because we're zealous for the wrong things. But zealousness, zeal with a purpose, he says. Zeal for a good purpose is a good thing. We should be zealous for the right things. And that is seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That should be what we are zealous for. That should be our number one zeal is to see people come to know Jesus. 
as their Savior. Our, our mission statement here at GFCC is helping people follow Jesus. And that means if you don't know Jesus yet, we want to introduce you to him because we believe he is the hope of the world and he can change your life in the best way possible. And so that's our mission statement. And that's what we believe. If you don't know Jesus yet, we want to introduce you to him. If you do know Jesus, we want to help you follow him better. That's uh, our goal. And that's what we're zealous for. All right, so verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is a, a pregnancy uh, illustration here. And he's talking about how Christ is formed like a little baby is formed in its, in its mother. Uh, he says, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. He says, I am in the pains of childbirth for Christ to be formed in you. In other words, I want you to grow spiritually. I want Christ to be formed in you. I want this change to be taking place in you and this radical change to be uh, formed in you that comes through Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to look at this next passage and we're going to try and explain as best I can, but it's it's, it's uh, literally, uh, I, I read in a couple different commentaries, that it is the, one of the most disputed and difficult passages to understand in all the New Testament. So, here we go. Verses 21 through 31. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, that's Hagar, and the other by the free woman, that's Sarah. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above, that's heaven, is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, O barren women, a woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At, the at that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And what Paul is getting at is he's using an Old Testament example to make an illustration of the difference between slave slavery to sin and slavery to those weak and miserable principles and freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. And he says, we are children of the promise. And the promises that, that God has made to us, uh, those promises he has made uh, are, are like the promises he made to Abraham through his son Isaac. And for us as Christians today, again, these promises are made by faith. It's gra God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. It has nothing to do, uh, we cannot be saved by following the Old Testament law. We cannot be saved by following the Ten Commandments. We cannot be saved by following the 613 other law, uh, 613 laws of the Old Testament. We cannot be saved by following the law. We can only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So, why are we saved? So that we can look more like Jesus. We are saved so that we can grow spiritually. Like I said earlier, Everything in creation, every living thing grows. So what does it mean for us to grow? It means we're going to look more like Jesus. It means that we're going to become more like him. How do we do that? It means we've got to make faith a priority. We've got to make faith in Jesus Christ a priority. We have to be those people who influence others for Jesus. So maybe, uh, you know, it, it starts in the home. It really starts in the home. So moms, dads, 
grandparents, whoever you got living in your house, it starts in the home. And if you don't make faith a priority, if you don't make faith in Christ a priority in your life, your kids will not make it a priority in theirs. They just won't. If your, parent, if your kids look at you and go, well, faith doesn't mean anything to you, why should it mean anything to me? I'm not... Yeah. Soapbox time. When I, one of the things that really frustrates me, uh, one of the things that frustrates me is when I hear parents say, uh, you know what, I'm just going to let my kids decide for themselves. I'm not going to make them go to church. I'm not going to force them to go to church. I'm just going to let them decide for themselves. You know, when they get older, they can make that decision. You wouldn't do this in any other area of their lives. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't say, well, you know what, my kid doesn't like going to school, so I'm not going to make him go. Ha <laughs> ha, right. You know what you do? You say, get your booty out of bed, get dressed, and you're going to school. Because school is what? It's important. You don't want your child to grow up ignorant. Well, why let them grow up spiritually ignorant? Why not make church that same kind of priority? And say, you know what? You're going to get your booty up. You're going to get dressed. We're going to church. But it starts with the parents. The parents don't make it a priority. The parents say, that's my only day to sleep in. We start at 9.30. Y'all are here at 11. How many of you have to be at work by 9? You can't, you can't sleep in until 10 o'clock, take a quick shower and come here? Please take a sh- quick shower and come here. We appreciate it. But no, in, in all seriousness, we don't make church a priority in our lives. Why would our kids make it a pr- priority in theirs? We've got to make it a priority. And so dads, take the spiritual leadership of your household and say, this is what we're going to do. We go to church. That's what we do as a family. But, and and, and we'll, we'll, we'll make other things a priority over church. We'll make sports a priority over church. Well, I've got to teach my kid the importance of commitment and responsibility. Fine, I'm all for teaching your kid the, commitment, uh, the importance of commitment and responsibility. But what about heaven and hell? What about eternity? Is that, what's more important? A little league game or, or eternity? Ask yourself that question before you make the commitment. What is the most important commitment that a child has? It's to Jesus Christ. The same as you. The same as me. Our number one commitment is to Christ. Jesus gave up everything for us. He gave up everything. He gave up heaven, the throne of heaven, to come to earth for a manger. He gave up the glory of angels to suffer the persecution and mockery of sinners. And they nailed him to the cross. And God raised him from the dead on the third day. He gave up everything for us. And we're not willing to give him an hour on Sunday. Man, what's wrong with us? Make Christ a priority. And your kids will grow up to make Christ a priority. Yeah, they're going to make their own choices someday. They're going to grow up, they're going to make their own decisions someday. But don't let them be ignorant about the choice that they're going to make. Make sure that they understand where your family stands. Make sure they understand what's important to your family. So moms, dads, you got to take the lead. Dads, if you won't do it, mom, you got to do it. Somebody's got to step up and, and, and be the spiritual leader in the family. God designed it for the, for the husband, for the man, uh, for the guy to do that. But if he won't do it, if he abdicates his responsibility, somebody's got to do it. So do it. So how can we do this? How can we, how can we grow spiritually? I told you I was going to give you a plan. It's three simple letters, GPS. GPS. The first is grouping. How many of you are in a connection group? Got a bunch of you in a connection group. Do you love your connection group? Yeah. Absolutely. Our connection groups are great. It, it's wonderful. 
And I'll tell you what, if you're not in a group yet, your next opportunity to sign up to be in a group is next Sunday. We're going to have group signups for our Easter session. Uh, we're going to have East, uh, a new group starting after Easter, and you'll be able to sign up for a group next Sunday and, and for a few weeks after that. So make sure that you sign up for a group because in your connection group, you are going to study God's Word. You are going to get to know other people. You are going to grow in faith. You're going to grow in your relationship with other Christians. And you're going to grow spiritually if you will be a part of a group. So grouping. Uh, the second one, uh, the P, is praising. That you've got to make church attendance and worship attendance a priority. So grouping and praising. I, I, I've read recently that uh, the average church attendance, what is considered normal church attendance or average church attendance or regular church attendance, is 1.8 times per month. 1.8 times per month is considered regular church attendance. No, it's not. If you showed up to your job 1.8 times per week, you wouldn't have a job very long. And what is point eight? Is that like coming in 10 minutes late, you know, missing the first couple songs, but being there for the sermon? Is that what that is? Point eight? I don't know. 1.8 is not regular church attendance. That's hit or miss. If you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to be here. You, gotta, you have to have, work on your relationship with God. You've got to work on your relationship with other people. You've got to learn what it means to love and serve and forgive other people. And you can only do that when you're here. So I encourage you to make church attendance, worship attendance, a priority. Don't be the 1.8. And finally, the S is for serving. So grouping, praising, serving, GPS. Easy peasy, right? Serving. And we want you to get involved and serve here at GFCC. Whether it's in children's ministry or in worship ministry, uh, in first impressions ministry. We've got a Saturday night service starting in three weeks. And we need people to be involved in the children's ministry, upstairs, downstairs. We need people to be involved in first impressions and making people feel welcome when they come for the first time. We need people to involve, be involved in the worship side of things. And if you have a talent and you can play a guitar, you can play a bass, you can play a keyboard, you can play drums, you can... Uh, play, uh, you can hit a space bar or run sound or any, anything that may, talk to Brandon Rooks, our associate pastor. If you can help out in children's ministry, talk to Joel Langland, our children's pastor. We want you to get involved because we grow spiritually when we serve Jesus. We grow spiritually when we serve with one another. So grouping, praising, serving. If you will follow the GPS, I guarantee you, you will grow spiritually. If you will commit yourself to GPS, you will grow spiritually. And when we do that, we will look more like Jesus, who frees us to grow.